Welcome to the Five More Minutes podcast. Hi, everybody. Happy October. It is October 29th, and I know that this podcast is late. I am so sorry. Let me tell you, I wish I could just do this full time. It would be the best podcast ever. But as you know, this is kind of something I do on the side of my desk, and my desk is very full. Um, I remember my my colleagues used to laugh at me when I was school-based in my classroom. When my desk got full, I just added another desk. I mean, come on. It's obvious. So anyways, I appreciate your patience. So today, we um, actually have another guest um, that we're going to be talking to about the planning pyramid. So last podcast, I talked to my trainer, Ed Pimley. Hey, Ed. And today I'm talking to my colleague, Sarah. And um, I, I usually do one podcast a month, but this one, I really wanted to get Sarah on because Sarah uh, has done some really great work with the planning pyramid or the baked potato. Um, and so she's going to walk us through an example. Uh, so I have her on the podcast, but let's just kind of do a life update. Okay, so today is October 29th. It is almost Halloween. Um, I, le- I leave for Yellowknife tomorrow. I'm going to unpack my big, big winter coat because it's definitely going to be cold there. And I'm up there for the rest of the week with my uh, good friend Leighton. And what else? Last week I was in Alberta. And what was really fun about Alberta was um, I got the opportunity. Sometimes when I'm working in schools, I get to do kind of like case studies. And so this one particular school, kind of central Alberta, uh, I'm working with them over the year. So I'm going there for three sessions. And each session we're targeting a different classroom. So last week we targeted a grade six math classroom and so it was kind of neat. So the classroom teacher and the educational assistant and myself, we kind of sat down together for the morning and planned a math unit. And then in the afternoon we co-taught a math lesson together. And what was really, really funny is, uh, so the kids like knew that we were coming because we were filming. Um, So the classroom teacher told the kids that, you know, they were trying to explain to them who I was because I was going to be teaching them and they don't know who I am. So they explained me or they described me as <laughs> I am the Connor McDavid of education. Now, if you don't know who Connor McDavid is, he's like the best hockey player in the world. Now, I am definitely not <laughs> the Connor McDavid of education, but this piqued their interest because Connor McDavid plays for the Edmonton Oilers, which is like the local hockey team. So when I walked into the classroom, I could hear them whispering and they're like, is that Connor McDavid? And I couldn't help but laugh because no, no, you cannot. So then they're like, well, maybe she's the, who's the guy from that cooking show? The mean one. Gordon Ramsay. So, you know, maybe a combination of the two, but still it was so cute and they all wanted my autograph and I'm like, you guys, I'm really not that big of a deal, (laughs) but you know what? They were so cute. So I had to, they held their little post-it notes, but regardless, it was so fun to, to be, to be teaching. Um, it's, if I didn't have those days, I would definitely miss, um, having some time with kids. So we got to, um, teach a lesson together. We were, we were teaching a lesson around the different ways to show our math learning. And so we were showing them like the difference between concrete math and pictorial math and symbolic math. And uh, we had, we had a very good time, just a a room full of of farmers. It was just the best. So that was Alberta. And um, then I came home 
and I had a day off. Um, and then this afternoon was very exciting because if you have been following along with uh, BCPVPA, BCPVP, PVPA, that's the British Columbia Principals and Vice Principals Association, they uh, were co-sponsors of a video series that um, talked to myself and Brad Baker and Faye Brownlee and uh, Judy and Linda, who, if you don't know, are, are, are great, all like just wonderful leaders throughout the province. And so there's little three-minute videos that they released, but then they, we all had, had little webcasts. So today was my webcast. So at 4 p.m., I got to do a webcast for about half an hour uh, for a few hundred people, which was fantastic. And I got some really nice feedback on that. So that was my afternoon. But the best part is because it was a webcast, I only had to wear a dress shirt on the top and then I could wear my pajamas on my bottoms because no one can see. It was the best. And then I also, because of that experience and because it was so good, I'm just like, oh my goodness, we should do live webcasts. So this is what I'm going to try. And so I'm going to need your help because... Um, I really, I'm having a hard time with the inclusion video strategies. People love them, but they take a lot of editing effort. So this is what I'm going to think because this webcast that I did today, it was about 30 minutes, which is about how much I aim for the inclusion strategies to be. So here I'm declaring it for all of you to hear it, As soon as I declare it, it's official. So this is what we're going to do. I am going to set up, uh, I am going to set up a webcast. We're going to have a little webcast for half an hour. It's going to be called Coffee and Eggs with Shelly Moore. And we're going to spend half an hour together and I'm going to walk you through an inclusion strategy. And so this one that we're going to walk through is going to be the strategy that Sarah and I talk about on this podcast, which is the uh, must, can, could strategy, which is really good for lesson design that aligns with the baked potato strategy of all um, some few or almost few. And so we're going to try it out. We're going to try it out. So I'm going to post this invite on my Twitter and on my Instagram and on my Facebook um, so you can get the link for it. But let's just see how this works because if I post this, then I'm accountable. I can't just not do it. So November 2nd, 9 a.m., that's Vancouver time. I'm going to post a link and then you guys can all join me. And then what I'll do is I will record it. And so if you're not able to join us on that morning, then you will archive it on the YouTube channel so you have access to it. But the nice thing that I really liked about the webinar today was that there was an opportunity for questions and so I could interact a little bit more um, because often what happens when I post the video strategies, um, questions questions come, but it's after the fact and sometimes I don't get to them. So this is really a strategy to keep me accountable to make sure that um, <laughs> I'm keeping up I'm keeping up with you. So November 2nd, 9 a.m., we're going to do a coffee and eggs with Shelly Moore. So get some eggs, get some coffee. We're gonna, I'm going to send you the link and we are going to try this out for the baked potato um, strategy to help us for lesson design. Okay. I said it. It's real. It's official. Um, uh, okay. So the only other thing I have to tell you is that, um, I got, I got news. I got news. I've been working as you know, on my second book and I got news that it, the goal is to release it in the spring. So I think that you'll be able to pre-order it very, very soon. I know a few people were asking me, so I will keep you posted on that. Um, it's a work. It's blood, sweat, and tears, my friend. <laughs> my publisher is is supporting me immensely, getting this out of my head. Um, it's it's it's. I'm pretty proud of it though, and so I'm, I'll be excited to get it out to you. Okay, so to our guest, my friend Sarah. Um, you will hear a little bit about 
how we know each other, but um, she took one of my inclusion institutes at UBC about two years ago, and Jess was one of those people that you meet, and, you know, she just, you know, it's one thing to just, like, be introduced to a lot of information, but it's another thing to take that information and to make it your own, and that's exactly what she did, and so I, um, I, was, I was super impressed with her and her ability to kind of transform the learning into something that could really be applicable in her context, so... In her role, uh, she was, when she was doing this work, she was uh, kind of like a, a district helping teacher in some way. And so she was supporting universal design um, with different classrooms and schools, was doing some demo teaching and working with teachers. And the work that she was doing, I thought was pretty cool. So she's going to talk through an example today and kind of how she used the baked potato planning strategy. After listening to it, though, I'm realizing that um, it, it's it's going to be beneficial if you have visuals while you're listening to it. So what I'm going to do is um, through this podcast, Sarah's referring to a visual. So I'm going to actually post that on Instagram and post it um, as a part of the, the Facebook page. And then I'll put that link in the podcast notes for this episode. So I think because I think it'll be easier to follow along if you have that visual to see. And then and then we'll follow up this on November 2nd. Uh, with the strategy that Sarah used. So enough of me. Let's get to Sarah. Um, I hope you enjoy my conversation with Sarah and I will catch you on the other side. Hello, everybody. I am Shelly Moore. You're listening to the Five More Minutes podcast. And with me today, I have um, a, a lovely, lovely colleague, um, Sarah. Sarah, you want to say hi? Hi. Hi. <laughs> so, Sarah, I, okay, so when, was, when did I meet you? It was the course, right? I think UBC? it was summer of summer. 2018. Summer, the Summer Institute. Yep. Absolutely. And uh, so, Sarah, Sarah kind of blew me away. So, that was, what, two summers ago? Uh, yeah. Three, two summers ago? Yeah, because yeah. it's 2019. Okay. And uh, you were one of, what, 45 people in that group. Mm -hmm. And how I remember you, I remember where you were sitting. <laughs> I even remember you were sitting because, first of all, I loved your name. Oh, <laughs> really? Yeah, no, oh, totally. Okay. I always love it. And, um, <laughs> but then what you did blew me away because what Sarah did is she came up to me at the end or the second day. It was a three-day institute yep. on the second day. And I was like, Shelly, I have something for you. <laughs> Do you remember this? <laughs> yes, and I do. out your pocket came this enamel pin. And I'm like, oh, thanks so much. And I'm like, because, I mean, people give me things all the time. But this pin was of a layered cake. Mm -hmm. And I was like, this is amazing. And you're like, yeah, no, I saw it, so I picked it up for you. I'm like, where did you see this and pick it up? And you said? It was in Chicago. Chicago. And yeah. I'm like, what do you mean in Chicago? Did you go to Chicago yesterday? <laughs> and you were like there on like a pro D trip or something, yeah, right? Yeah, I was there earlier in the summer and I was at a bakery with a friend and I saw the pin and I was like, <gasps> and so this, this is perfect. So this is hitting me because I realized that you wouldn't have just bought that that week. No. So no. like you had, you were familiar with this layered cake before the Summer Institute. That's right. And you picked it up and then you brought it to the Summer Institute. Like this to me <laughs> blew my mind open. And I'm like, <laughs> and then you lost the pin. Okay, well then. <laughs> so I wore, but we got you another one. So I wore this pin with pride. Yeah, of right. <laughs> and I put it on my little lapel. And the funny thing is, is I put it on like my custom-made hand-sewn jacket, mm -hmm. right? That I got 
made from some like tailor in New York City. So you'd think that that's what I would be upset about, but oh no, <laughs> it was the pin because I put it on this jacket and then I left it on an airplane. <gasps> And the pin was gone, and I was so horrified because people would comment on that pin all the time, yeah. right? Because they think it's a pride pin. Totally. And I'm yeah. like, you don't even know why you like this pin. Which, <laughs> so it's kind of like this sneaky thing. Totally. So then, okay, so then yeah. I'm horrified, and I say to my wife, Jessica, I'm like, Jessica, I lost my pin. And she knows how much I love my pin. Yeah. And, uh, and so then she got sneaky. Totally. Because we found out that we have a common friend. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. I, uh, yeah, so one of the, the mutual friends reached out your wife reached out to the mutual friend the yeah, mutual friend yeah. reached out to me yeah I reached out to my friend in, in Chicago, Chicago who then <laughs> mailed the pin I couldn't even believe it yeah and so I get this pin and it's replaced and it's perfect so good it's absolutely perfect now here's the part that's really fascinating okay okay so I learned two valuable lessons that day don't leave my blazer on the plane and don't keep my pin on the blazer. Mm. Okay? Yeah, transfer it. Right? So I have now a place for my pin. I know this is a long story, but it's going to come full circle in a second. <laughs> so I put my pin on a special pin shelf in my bathroom. Okay? Oh, my gosh, yeah. And then I get a new blazer. Mm. And guess what happened last week? I don't know. I left my blazer on the airplane. Oh, my gosh. But? But the pin was... <laughs> My pin is safe and sound in my medicine cabinet. So, Sarah, we don't have to go on another, so like, underground mission to Chicago to get a bakery pin. So that's the story of the pin. Um, and so if you know why that pin is meaningful, it's because of the metaphor of the layered cake, which is actually what we're going to talk about next month. So awesome. I know. So that was that's my connection to Sarah. And then since then, we've kind of stayed in touch a lot because really? uh, the reason why I actually have Sarah on this podcast is because... Um, in this kind of institute that we were working through, the because this podcast is connected to the baked potato metaphor, mm -hmm. which have you seen all the potatoes that I'm getting served? So many and people and people. It's now at salad bars and yeah. popcorn bars and ice cream. Totally, I am fed well on the road, and uh, <laughs> so this baked potato metaphor, which is connected to the planning pyramid, which is the universal design for learning strategy. And this one really connected with you. Like yep. you like mm -hmm. took it and you ran a marathon <laughs> with it. And so I'm, I'm wondering like, why did that particular framework stand out to you? Um, I think it was probably the first framework for me that seemed tangible mm -hmm. and manageable. Um, I have taught in you know, upper intermediate for a while, and um, and also in a school that has um, a late French immersion program. Yes, yes. And so often my classroom is a very diverse place, and I'm trying to plan in a way that meets all of my learners. And so um, I hadn't necessarily found a way, um, a strategic way, to do that planning. Yeah, and yeah. so I think that that framework allowed me to really think about um, how I might do my planning in a more efficient way. Yeah, and and what I like about it, and kind of, we should actually tell like, because mm -hmm. you you were intermediate, so like that's like what grade four to six ish. Yeah, four to seven. Four I was seven. primarily upper intermediate, so okay, I've okay, mostly okay. taught in grade six seven. Okay, mm -hmm. and so 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 your position, because you were, mm -hmm. I really like your position that you were describing. It's like you kind of had a little bit of a leadership role. Yeah. And was that kind of paired up with a classroom teaching role? Yeah. So, yeah. So the I've been a classroom teacher and then um, 
in the recent past, mm -hmm. I was working um, across elementary schools. It was designed to be K to seven, but um, primarily I was working with teachers, I would say four to seven. Right. Um, and I think that that was probably for a couple of reasons. A, that's where my background is. Totally. But also um, it felt like primary teachers were having less like a less challenging time mm -hmm, mm -hmm. meeting the diverse range of needs in their classrooms. Well, if you think about kind of elementary school, right? Mm -hmm. You know, everyone needs help K to three. Yeah. They're learning how to go to school. <laughs> totally. And then yeah. kind of grade four happens and the demands start to shift. Yeah. But also that's when you start to see a gap. Yes. Right? And so yeah. it makes sense that kind of the questions would start in the upper intermediate for sure. Yeah. So you had this kind of this cool role. You were a classroom teacher, and then yeah. you became kind of a, a helping teacher to teachers yeah. for the intermediate. And it, you were called a UDL facilitator? Yeah, UDL enhancement teacher. Like, okay, what's that acronym? U-D-L-E-T? Yeah. Udle it. <laughs> There's a t-shirt. I try and find a t-shirt for all of my podcasts. You lit. Um, and I love that role because I think, you know, um, when I talk to people often, you know, we have this push for inclusive education and universal design for learning, but mm -hmm. you can't just tell people to be inclusive or be universally designed. Like, no. like teachers need a lot of support in order to do that mm -hmm. and the time to be able to do that. And so that was kind of your role. Totally. Yeah. Totally. No, it was a, it was a great opportunity for people who are ready to kind of dive in a little bit deeper mm -hmm. um, to get some support and, and not that I'm an expert but um, definitely collaboration mm -hmm. is a huge component so yeah, yeah. it was helpful to have kind of two heads to work together. So I guess I have two questions for you then mm -hmm. um, because I think you're right I think the, the reason why I also like mm -hmm. the planning pyramid or the baked potato strategy is because it was very tangible mm -hmm. right because like, you can use it as, as both a, a lesson mm -hmm strategy or totally. a unit strategy like you can use it for both goals or activities yeah and so I like how you kind of took it and saw it from both of those perspectives and so I guess my next question is mm -hmm. if you think about yourself as a teacher role yep. with kids mm -hmm. how did you use it in mm -hmm. your classroom sure so um so it wasn't necessarily in my classroom alone but right. one of um one of the things that came out of my work was that teachers, especially new teachers, were really mm -hmm. um, wondering, okay, how do I make sense of the diversity and meet all of the needs of the mm -hmm. learners in my room? And so um, as we were delving into some of your work and looking at some uh, some learning maps, yeah. um, what we what we decided to trial as a bit of an experiment was mm -hmm. using the language from um, the learning maps. Yeah. So um, need, must, can, could, and can right. try. And just to pause, um, a learning map is basically another term for a learner progression. Right? Yes, totally. And it's really kind of pushing against kind of the deficit turn mm -hmm. that rubrics have made yes. and kind of reclaim them to be like, how can we make this into a map where we all start together and add on? Totally. And so um, that language came from the work, um, working with teachers in Richmond to be like, okay, so where can we begin where everyone will be successful? And that's your access point. Totally. Right. And so you kind of made that into mm -hmm. language that was kid friendly and teacher friendly to say, okay, yeah. how are we going to build on this? Okay. Continue. Keep totally. Going. Yeah. So so we kind of, we, we created these visual supports for teachers um, to try out. And basically it was allowing them um, within a lesson to map out, okay, where is everybody going to start? Mm -hmm. Also thinking about where do we want them to go? Yeah. And how can we kind of break apart this task or lesson or mm -hmm. activity um, into some steps that um, make it very clear mm -hmm. and visual for students yeah. um, and being mindful of the students that I have in my room? 
room. Yeah. And so um, it was really interesting to see how teachers started to use these. Mm-hmm. And I was um, in some of the rooms where we were trialing it, mm-hmm. and there were other people who were trying it on their own. Um, and what we noticed was that um, it really helped um, students find a purpose mm-hmm. within the lesson or the task. Mm-hmm. And it also allowed students to um, ch- kind of choose their level of challenge. Right, right. So um, it almost freed up the teacher in the room to kind of provide that maybe more intense um, support, kind of one-to-one, mm-hmm. or um, with certain students, because a lot of the other students were able to be somewhat self-sufficient. Right. So um, a lot of the ways that people trialed it were when they were trying to plan out the independent portion right. of a task. Right. And to know where to move to if you complete a step, yeah. Yeah. yeah um, and so... Um, that was quite interesting because um, especially some of the classes that I worked with quite frequently and I knew the students in those rooms, um, there were students who were kind of humming along a lot more focused mm-hmm. um, and intentional with their work and learning than they had been mm-hmm. um, when this uh, support wasn't used. Yeah. Um, so can I just pause you because mm-hmm. we're right now looking at a picture. Sure. And yeah. This is audio. so <laughs> Totally. So we want to describe what we so, see. Totally. totally. So what Sarah is referring to is this is a visual strategy that she would show teachers, and especially mm-hmm. new teachers, which I think is, is so accurate, mm-hmm. is, is where the need is. And it was so on a whiteboard, you created five magnets. Yes. And they were color-coded. Yes. That had those words, what do I need to do? Yeah. What must I do? What can I do? What could I do? What can I try to do? And if totally. you think about those words, they increase in complexity yes. like a baked potato. Right? Totally. Yeah. So it's communicating to kids, what is the potato? What is the most mm-hmm. important thing that we want everyone to be able to do? Yeah. But it also didn't hold kids back who could go further for more complexity. 100%. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, yeah. Do you want to walk us through an example? Yeah. And what's interesting is, like, you know, as we kind of reflected, you know, on this after the fact, like, the magnets are in a rainbow color, Mm -hmm, okay? mm -hmm. So that was kind of gave an interesting visual cue to Mm -hmm. the order. Um, And then we did have the the language of need, must, can, could, and can try. Um, But in the end, you almost could have taken away the language on it. It was oh, just the visual cue yeah, yeah. Of, just having of what the was there. Yeah. So, and I'll post this on my Instagram so you guys can, can see it for sure. Um, so one of the, um, I would say one of the best examples was um, working on persuasive writing. Okay. And so um, what we did, um, students had gone through some direct lessons around mm-hmm. persuasive writing. Mm-hmm. Um, and so they already had learned about the form mm-hmm. um, to write persuasive paragraphs. They had learned about um, vocabulary to use and whatnot. So now this was a chance for them to practice on their own. So the first part was um, to share your opinion on a topic. Mm-hmm. So based on the students in the room, we thought in order to write a persuasive um, writing piece, mm-hmm. it, the first thing that you need to be able to do is to A, select a topic and be able to have an opinion about Absolutely. it. Absolutely, yeah. Okay? And what I like about that is that you get, because at, at the top of this, you have your goal. I can 
form an opinion to persuade my reader. Yeah. That has that's not about writing. Totally. You know, so it's kind of moving away from you have to write this essay to wait, 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 wait. That's not the goal. Yeah. The goal is that you have an opinion and you can persuade people. And so I love that your access point mm-hmm. focuses on that because that is the potato. Do you have an opinion? Totally. Absolutely. Okay. And so then adding on complexity. Yeah. And so the next one, based on the kids that we had in this room, and that's really important to consider that this is an example that was based on the students in that room. They all do. Yeah. And so we knew at that point, um, our next step would be, okay, we know that that the kids can write one paragraph. Yeah. Okay. Um, Keeping in mind that some students might have been writing that, you know, pencil and paper. Some of them were using technology, technology, all of that. Um, So the next step was to write a paragraph using transition words. Yeah. Okay? Yep. They also had access to lists of transition words in order to help Different them do that. Different supports to do that, for, for sure. Yeah. Um, then the next step um, was for them to include what we were calling triple scoop descriptive words um, and persuasive language. So that was kind of another layer mm-hmm. of complexity yep. was to increase the level of vocabulary yep. that they were using. Can I tell you what I love? Yes. The next step wasn't write another paragraph. Yeah, it wasn't about right. more. It was about <laughs> going you deeper. Know, going deeper. Yeah. And, yeah. I, and I love this because I think if I think back to my schooling experience, it was to write more, mm-hmm. not write better. Totally. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So keep going. And then, on. so now we've got the like butter and the sour cream. Totally. Okay. Let's keep going. So then the next step that we had was um, to be able to write an engaging opening sentence mm-hmm. to hook your reader's attention. Absolutely. We were recognizing that this was again they had already had some learning about this, mm-hmm. um, and they knew some different ways that they could write that opening sentence. So this was another layer of complexity. Um, and then the last point. Um, and this is the extension now. Yep. Yeah. Totally. Um, And so this was to include a reason from the opposing point of view in their persuasive paragraph and to be able to prove, you know, why your reasons were more convincing Mm -hmm. than that opposing point of view. And so we came up with this progression um, based on the students that we had Mm -hmm. and um, the curriculum that we were working with. And um, it seemed to really help students know where they were starting and where they were going. Okay, so if we think about this now as a baked potato, mm-hmm. the potato, if I look at this visual, which I'm gonna show everyone, the potato is that everyone has an opinion. Mm-hmm. So they've chosen a topic, they have an opinion, yeah. and they've written a paragraph mm-hmm. that communicates their opinion mm-hmm. with using kind of transitional words yep. to be able to communicate that opinion. Yes. Which is very interesting because if I look at the goal, the mm-hmm. goal says I can form an opinion to persuade my reader. Mm-hmm. They've met that goal. Yes. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. it's at a minimal level, but they've met it and it's grade level. Yes. Right? Mm-hmm. And so I think if, if, if in a previous way that I would have been taught and probably mm-hmm. you too, mm-hmm. we would say everyone has to do all of these things and then yeah. you lose marks. Right. Yeah. To show what you did, as opposed to, okay, well, you have this great paragraph. Mm-hmm. How can we go in further? And mm-hmm. and I like how you said it gives kids the choice of control. Yeah. Control over the challenge of that. Yes. And yeah. so you notice, so what did you notice about that? Like, what well, did I you just, see? What I noticed is that um, what was interesting is that students were referring to the board. They were like, okay, I've done the mm-hmm. need. Okay, now I'm moving on to the next step. Mm-hmm. There were students that were like, well, I've done the can, so I... I don't need to do anything else. And mm-hmm. then um, 
so that was either an opportunity for other students who were actually like, well, no, you have to go on to the could. And so there was this kind of co-regulating that can was I, happening in the room. Can I just pause you? Yeah. Because I'm going to tell you something. I'm going to be really honest with you. Every single time, and yeah. I've told the baked potato story thousands of times. Yeah. Every single time you see that hand go up in the crowd yeah. and the teacher says, yeah, but Shelly, yeah. what if both the kids that are like, I'm done. I did the must. That's all yeah. I need to do. I'm okay with my potato. Yeah. And I love what you said yeah. because, you know, if you think about us just telling them to do it, it's about compliance. Yeah. But the power of, like you say, that co mm -hmm. co regulation of other kids saying, no, you're not. Yeah. It's no longer this top down. Totally. But it becomes this community of learners saying, no, we're yeah. still going. We're still going. Okay. So you said yeah. one opportunity is co regulation, and then I cut you off. So then another opportunity because. You know, they, you are going to have those students who, even when their peers say, well, no, you can go farther, are going to be like, meh, I'm not, no, nah, yeah. maybe not today. Totally, or, totally. So I think it also opens up an opportunity for the teacher to have a conversation with the yeah. student, yeah. you know. Um, on, you know, students, especially in intermediate, have a lot of control over, you know, what they do and maybe what they don't do. Yeah, and so yeah. I think that it's important to then when you have a student mm -hmm. who's maybe um, stopping at a point when they could go further mm -hmm. is engaging in a conversation then yeah. about, hey, you know, what's going what, on? What's going on? Yeah. What have you got so far? What you supports know? do you need? You know, Faye yeah. Brownlee, her questions? Yes. Mm -hmm. What was just, I just I had a mind blink. <laughs> She's just like, <laughs> what do you got? Yeah. What's working? Mm -hmm. What's not working? Yeah. What's your next step? You know what I mean? Just kind of like a little check-in. Totally. And then I always kind of think about those kids where sometimes the potato is enough. Totally. You know, and it kind of gives them an out mm -hmm. in an appropriate way mm -hmm. that you don't get it in an inappropriate way, which sometimes is behavior, right? Yeah. And, and, and I think that this also allows kids to always come back. Mm -hmm. You know, if they, you need a little break, have a little break. Like, mm -hmm. I never work for six hours straight. No. You know, so I, I, I appreciate the flexibility in it that way. Yeah, so, um, you know, I could see this, um, you know, even working, you know, depending on the students that you have in your class, mm -hmm. because you're working on forming an opinion, you know, this could be, um, you know, students who might need to have, you know, images, and you've got totally. two different things, mm -hmm. and so it's like, you know, you're making a choice or an opinion between like McDonald's and Wendy's, yeah, yeah. and you've got an image of each, yeah. and so that could be a way that somebody who is maybe at that access point yeah. is able to engage in the lesson. I'm really glad you brought this up. Yeah. Because this mm -hmm. is the point, this yeah. is the secret, is, you know, if you had a student in there who does have a cognitive disability, if you look at that access point, mm -hmm. it says, I can share my opinion on a topic or make mm -hmm. a choice on a topic. Mm -hmm. I don't know any kids who can't do that, regardless of ability level, right? And totally. so rather than it being something different for them, that's mm -hmm. where the whole class is starting. Exactly. And that, my friend, mm -hmm. is exactly what the planning, the, the planning pyramid big potatoes for. Totally. <gasps> yeah. You're so good. You're so, <laughs> you're so good. Okay. So now my yeah. question is like, what, how, what did you notice about teachers who started to use this? Like what, mm -hmm. what were some of the, what did they start to like, how did they use this? Like, what did you notice with them? It's interesting because, um, I, we noticed a few things. So we noticed that, um, there were some teachers where, um, 
using the magnets, um, created a bit of a task list, um, and it didn't necessarily increase in mm -hmm. complexity. Right, right, right. Um, but what was interesting about those, rather than feeling kind of like, oh no, you're not using it quite right, mm -hmm. what it was providing for them was actually um, making something clear and visual yeah. that perhaps they were not making clear and this visual before. This is so before. funny because this is a tension that also comes up. Mm -hmm. It's a, because it can you can easily get caught in exactly like you say, mm -hmm. where, where you're showing students a progression, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. But it doesn't necessarily, it's like you say, it's not necessarily more complex and it turns more into a chunking strategy yeah. or as a task checklist strategy. Yeah. But here's the best part. Mm -hmm. Even if it is that, mm -hmm. it's still beneficial because it's a visual support. Exactly. Right? And so I think, yeah. you know, it's kind of errorless in that way. Because mm -hmm. the big idea here that both of those have in common mm -hmm. is that you're communicating to students what they need to be doing. Yes. Right? And so yeah. even if teachers just started with mm -hmm. using it as a chunking strategy, not a scaffolding strategy, mm -hmm. the next step is to make it a scaffolding strategy. And the nice part is the students are already familiar with that language. Exactly. Right? Yeah. Yeah. So that's so we kind of took those as wins as well. Yeah. Like, you know what? Um, even though this is not exactly as uh, as it was intended, um, you know, mm. the the result is still helpful. Yeah. Um, what was also interesting is that in t talking with the teachers who were trying it out, they were like, oh, like I use it in some areas and I don't use it in others because it seems more natural to use it. Like mm. it's easier for me to maybe use it in writing or in language arts, but I haven't quite tried using it in a different mm -hmm. subject area. Yeah. Um, and then they also brought up, um, I find they're harder to use when I haven't had a chance to think through the progression. <gasps> Interesting. So, so yeah, it kind of yeah, surfaced yeah. that um, it's kind of hard to use this tool if I haven't myself thought through what do I want kids to be able to know and right, do right, right. and how is it that we're going to get there. And that's really interesting because you realize that it's going to be really hard to teach that then mm -hmm. if we don't understand the curriculum and the goal. Yeah. Right? Mm -hmm. And so in a way, it almost becomes a scaffold for teachers to help them process curriculum. Exactly. You know? Yeah. Um, what was the other thing I was going to ask you? It's gone. That's okay. It's gone. Yeah. But that, I thought that that was also a useful thing to surface and that mm -hmm. oh, when I sure. take more time, you know, or the more thought that I uh, put into the, the planning of something, yeah, yeah, yeah. then, um, you know, then the more successful probably everybody can be. And, yeah. and that's obviously a large tension for most teachers is just making sure that we have the time to intentionally um, think about the access yeah. point for the students in our yeah, room. Yeah, and, and the access point is something that totally changed my practice too. Mm -hmm. You know, rather than trying to go backwards, yeah. especially for those kids who have cognitive disabilities, mm -hmm. um, because what ends up happening is it's not just them that are going to benefit because it's really actually filling mm -hmm. in the gaps in learning for so many kids, you know? Definitely. I remember what I was going to say. Yep. Okay. So this example that you're talking us through right now is a, is a lesson example. Yes. Right? And so part of, so you can absolutely use this framework, the planning pyramid, as a lesson, mm -hmm. as a lesson scaffolding strategy yes. for both goals and activities. Yes. Right? Mm -hmm. The other way that you can use this is kind of, you know, zooming out at the unit level and kind mm -hmm. of attached to backwards design, which is mm -hmm. how do we look at our curricular goals mm -hmm. and create a unit? progression yep. and that's where the learning maps comes in right yep. now did you do you have any examples from a unit perspective mm -hmm. um, I think the best 
Like one thing that we're, you know, that we've really focused on in our district over the last while is making our learning intentions clear for students. Yes, yes. And um, which is like the ultimate UDL strategy. Exactly. Right? Yeah. And so I would say that um, from my experience working with teachers, um, one of the most helpful tools has been using um, a ex exposing them to the kind of learning map model, yes. but also um, backing it up to um, the backwards design yeah. template. It's, they're so connected. And so, um, so really um, having teachers think through what it is that you're wanting students mm -hmm. to be able to know and do. Because you have to know the goal before you can make a progression. Yeah. Which makes sense, though, because if you don't know the goal, how are you going to make a how exactly. are you gonna make a big potato? Totally. Yeah. Um, and I guess in conjunction with that is, you know, do you really know the learners that you have in, in the room? There it is. Um, That's the question. And, and in order to plan your baked potato, um, you not only need to know um, your curriculum, but you need to know the students yeah. Yeah. Um, and, and know them really well as, as learners. Um, so I think, you know, one tool that we kind of developed that was helpful um, was uh, creating a curriculum planning tool yep. that allowed you to kind of think through what are the goals that I have for all of the students yep. in my room? And then let's kind of think really specifically about um, some of the students in my room that might have a more challenging time meeting those goals. Yep. And what are we planning specifically? What goals are we planning specifically for, for those students? Yeah, I mm -hmm. love that. I love that. That looks very similar to um, one of the um, strategies to help people write IEPs, the kind mm -hmm. of those replacement goals, like how do we create those access goals for curriculum? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, totally. Um, and I I think that, I mean, out of the work that I, I, I did, um, just having that time to plan and think through it yeah. was the most, yeah. was really one of the mm -hmm. most important pieces um, because there's so much that happens throughout your day yep. um, that unfortunately it's, it's hard, you know, to, to think through this in mm -hmm. a way that really makes sense for all of your kids. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I love that so much. Okay. So my last question for you is I know that you and Tashi, your colleague, mm -hmm. created a visual and this is kind of like a little visual poster almost. It's beautiful. Mm -hmm. I'll definitely post this for everyone to see that is, it's kind of like a cheat sheet. Yes. So do you want to kind of tell us a little about that and then I can share it with our, with our listeners? Perfect. Yeah. So what we tried to do is we tried to kind of combine a lot of ideas in one space. Absolutely. <laughs> and there was many evolutions of this. And so we landed on something that's on uh, 11 by 17 because mm -hmm. we really couldn't squish it into um, to any smaller space. So um, basically we um, it was basically a cheat sheet to use these kind of the, this magnet or learning map mm -hmm, idea in mm -hmm. the classroom. So it helps you plan either one lesson or a series of lessons that's accessible to all of your learners. We, um, it has just two steps. Step number one, start planning. Think about all learners, especially those who need the most support and need the most challenge. Outside that, pins. Yes, the outside <laughs> pins. Um, we also decided to kind of add a little arrow underneath that that says planning is not a linear process. Mm -hmm. You need to jump around between different levels of complexity. Absolutely, yeah. Um, and so you might not always be able, you might not know exactly what your access point is until you kind of jump around yeah. um, a little bit. So, um, 
when you start your planning, we included these questions to consider. Who are the learners? Where are they at? And where are they going? Mm-hmm. Um, and we then uh, said, after you consider those questions, start by trying to think about a broad learning target mm-hmm. that can kind of meet the uh, range of needs of the learners you have in your yeah. classroom. Yeah. Um, and then from there, you can start to think about the learning progression. Yeah. Um, thinking about you know, what background knowledge or skills do they need to engage with that target that you've laid out. Mm-hmm. Um, that's your that's your needs, that's, that's your access point. That's yep. your access point. Then moving to the next level um, and the must. The potato. The potato, the essential learning that all learners yeah. must understand, Most important. know and do. And that's where you really want to reflect on the, your curriculum. So going to the BC Curriculum website yep. and kind of trying to suss out what it is that you're going to focus on. Um, And then moving to the can, um, what most students can know, um, understand, or do. And then moving on to could and can try, offering another layer of complexity, um, which might not necessarily be going above grade level. It might be still within the grade level, but but it's another piece. Um, And really, we had people kind of play around with, you know, do I need five um, progressions? Do I need four? You know, maybe for for this series of lessons, I don't need that many levels. Um, And then, you know, you could, depending on what you're planning, extend, you know, into an additional grade level. So once you've kind of done your planning, then the second is just to make it visible. So um, in this case, you could use the magnets Mm -hmm. um, in the order of need, must, can, could, and can try. Um, And that all learners start at that need together. And then they progress along uh, the sequence, and they have a choice of challenge. Um, They can go as far as they want. They can go as far as they want. And what we really really wanted to emphasize, and we have a little bubble on on this image, um, that no learner is defined or limited by a single category. That, um, you know, we're not saying that all of a sudden these are my, you know, the need, the red category kids, my my must group. You know, this is not kind of going back in time to reading groups. I have colleagues that... Groupings, yeah. Yeah, yeah. that's not in any way um, designed, um, you know... modeled off of that design Mm -hmm. um really it's a progression that allows students to move through different um, levels of challenge and i think too there's often a misunderstanding that you know kids aren't the part the part Mm -hmm. that i think is really important to clarify is that every student all students Mm -hmm. in that classroom are still taught everything. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? This yep. isn't grouping kids, like you say, into colors. Be like, this is the red group. This is what you're, you only need to do this. So you're only going to expose to that instruction. Yeah. In terms of the lesson planning and mm-hmm. the lesson instruction, like everyone is exposed to all levels. Yeah. And it's separating what am I teaching to what evidence are st- what evidence is students demonstrating. Mm-hmm. And so understanding that kids have a higher comprehension mm-hmm. understanding mm-hmm. than they sometimes do in a demonstration. But so because sometimes there's a gap there, mm-hmm. we assume that they can't understand. Yeah. And so this is about everyone is still exposed to all levels of complexity in the teaching stage Yeah. because there's a chance of, even if they don't demonstrate it in that on that day or that month mm-hmm. or that year, the chances are higher that they will eventually because they've been exposed to it before. And so I yeah. think it's important to know that this is not... You know, these aren't groups. This isn't, mm-hmm. you know, we're not deciding who gets access. Everyone gets access to everything. Mm-hmm. But when it comes to demonstrating learning, students choose 
the level of their challenge. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Sarah. Yeah. Can Shelly? I post this and share it with people? Totally. You're amazing. <laughs> and I'll give you all the props. I think it's, oh. a, it's a really, really nice little poster. Um, one thing that I'm also going to do this weekend is, is create like a little video strategy mm -hmm. of what this looks like. Sure. And so um, with your permission, I would love to share some of those photos with people so they can kind of see what that board like. that we were talking through. Yeah. Um, but yeah, okay. So then my last question for you is like, what advice do you have? Because I mean, it's not just BC that listens to this. Like there's people like, there's like, I have a regular 2,500 <laughs> listeners. Like, oh my goodness. No, I know. Like, <laughs> we are, we are. Going there's, big. <laughs> there's people in, like, Iceland listening what? to this. I know. Can you believe it? <laughs> so um, if you, and I know a lot of people are questioning this because, you know, honestly, the, a big question I have is how do I bridge the gap in my classroom, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. and, and I see this strategy as that. And so I guess if you were to give advice to someone mm -hmm. who's really struggling with that question, you know, what, you know, even just. Uh, like bigger than just the strategy, mm -hmm. what advice do you have for, for educators who are struggling with this kind of range of learners in their classroom? Yeah. Probably, I think like having, I think three pieces would probably be, A, um, don't be afraid to try something. Just try something new. Just try something. I'm seeing a pattern over and over, like the permission to be innovative. Yes. Yeah. And it's okay. Like, you know, we had many examples where I was like, oh man, that totally didn't work how I thought it was going to work. Yeah. But there was still lots of great learning that happened mm -hmm. from trying. So I would say, yes, definitely give your position, uh, yourself permission to try. Um, second, I would say make sure that you um, you know, have the courage to reach out to work with somebody else mm -hmm. um, within your building. Um, and and third, kind of um, related, is that it's, you know, when you're really thinking about, you know, maybe complex students in your classroom, mm -hmm. make sure that you're reaching out to the specialist teachers that you have in your building. Mm -hmm. um, and that um, between those th three things, I think mm -hmm. you'll probably get to a better place than mm -hmm. you were before. No one can do it alone. Nobody can do it no. alone. It's a, it's and you can't know model. all the things. No, you can't. So. And that's not the goal. No. Absolutely. Exactly. My friend, it was so nice to chat with you. So good to chat with you. It's really good. It's really important for everyone to know that this is a Friday afternoon <laughs> of a professional development day, and I am making you stay an extra hour. It's all good. I know. And Greta Thunsberg is in town. I know. And I am forcing you to sit here. And so, it's sunny now. And it's sunny. <laughs> which is a big deal in Vancouver in the fall. Totally. So thank you so much for spending your time. No problem. Thank you, Sarah. Okay, Sarah. Isn't she so smart? She's like the smartest, honestly. I see her face and she just looks like she's thinking all the time. So I totally appreciate her. Um, okay, let's see. What did Sarah tell us? So the whole time that I'm listening to Sarah, like, okay, so here's where, she, okay, where am I going to start? So here's the thing is that what Sarah realized when she was doing, using the strategy with teachers was exactly um, sometimes the tension that comes up, which is, knowing the difference between scaffolding, chunking, and differentiating, because they're actually very different strategies. And, and we'll spend some time talking about this over our, our relationship together on air. But just really quickly, um, scaffolding is what the baked potato is. You know, everyone starts together and it's almost like you prioritize what's the most important part and then you can add on complexity. And so it's not, and then the difference between that and differentiation is differentiation would be choose which level you want 
or choose a level, but you don't have to do all three. And so like the reason why this strategy is not that because everyone does the potato. You don't just pick bacon bits. You can't just eat bacon bits because that's not a baked potato. So that's the difference. And chunking, chunking is even a little bit different still because chunking is almost like a task analysis breakdown strategy that's really useful at a lesson level, which is, okay, first do this, then do this, then do this. And it's a great strategy for kids to kind of help them to know where they are and what kind of their next step is. So I could kind of see that the baked potato strategy at the lesson could almost be both um, a scaffolding strategy and a chunking strategy. But if we don't pay attention to how the scaffolded chunks become more complex, if they don't become more complex, then it's not the planning pyramid, it's just a chunking strategy. So um, sometimes that gets mixed up. But what we both kind of realize is that, you know, even if it's not both, they're still beneficial because having a visual chunking strategy for all kids in a classroom is going to be it's going to help them because it's just a reference that everyone can use and I know that we've talked about this before no one will be harmed by visuals no one will be harmed by supports and so you know even if even if this strategy just starts out as a chunking strategy um, I think that's okay and so it's kind of errorless that way Um, but the strategy that she's gonna that she Sarah that Sarah walked through with us was a really nice example of the different between just chunking a task and actually increasing a task's complexity the part that I, I think that was really important that she that she pointed out though was that because she organized it by must can could you want to make sure that the must or that kind of that goal for all is enough for someone to meet the actual standard like the curricular standard because those curricular standards are the grade level and we want all of our kids to hit that because that's that like importance of that high expectation that we have for our kids and so you know even if they meet that at a minimal level they're still meeting that at grade level which sometimes is the difference between graduation and not for some of our kids and we want to make sure our kids are passing with integrity so you know um, I think it's really critical to know that that's not an adaptation or a modification that is like the essential piece of a grade level goal and I think if if we could kind of look at that continuum there's a lot of kids that could be much more successful than they are because there's a misunderstanding that because kids can't meet the fully the fully complex version of a goal in the same time as all their other peers well then they must be modified but this is not true at all um this is this is based in standards it's not standardized and so I think the more examples that we look at this I think the, the clearer it'll be so um just like I mentioned earlier I will post those those um, pictures that Sarah was speaking to so that you can see them while you're watching this. Okay, so I'm, I pulled out a few quotes that I want to share uh, based on what Sarah told us. Um, I think the, the, big, the big benefit of this is having this, whether it's just a chunking visual reference or a scaffolding strategy, um, I think Sarah hit the nail right on the head when she said, um, this strategy really helps students to find the purpose of a lesson and to choose their level of challenge. And the reason why those two things are important is because you don't just want the purpose of a lesson to be to complete a task because the actual activities that kids are doing aren't the goal. The activities are helping to show that kids have met a goal. And there's a very clear difference between those things because we don't want to be evaluating activities. We want to see how kids are co- using activities 
so that we can evaluate goals. And so if kids think that the purpose is just to complete a task, they don't actually know why they're doing it. They don't know what the goal is. And that's a really uh, important part of universal design for learning that we know increases engagement with kids is that do they know the purpose? Do they know the goal? Do they know why they're doing what they're doing? That is going to increase engagement and motivation. The other part of this that she said, it allows students to choose their level of challenge. The reason why that's important is because that's connected to student agency and self-regulation of learning, which is becoming a very, very, very important um, factor in the in the teaching or the learning of our students. Usually we, the teachers, are in charge of the level of challenge, but I know in British Columbia and many curricular shifts around the world, we're really trying to move to students actually being in charge of those things. And so if we are making those decisions for them, then they're not, and they're not going through that, that feeling process of, process of, hey, I think I'm ready for more. And they need to feel that in order to be in charge of it. But I also know that a big question that I get is, yeah, but Shelly, what if they're like, I'm done. Here's the thing, my friends, is that we're also playing with time. And so if I'm in a classroom and I tell the kids that we're all working for 20 minutes and, you know, we're all going to get as far as we can. If a student after five minutes says to me, I'm done. I'm good with the all. Well, there's still 15 minutes of class left, right? Like we're all working for that time. However, exactly what Sarah said, this is an opportunity to check in with a kid and say, okay, I see that you're stuck. It's okay that you're stuck. Let's figure out what is, what's a supportive strategy that you might need to keep going. Because even in my own life, I get stuck all the time, right? And so it kind of gives kids an opportunities to take a break in an appropriate way. It doesn't have to be 45 minutes. It can be two minutes. But at the same time, if a kid is stuck, it's usually for four reasons. The next step is too hard. The next step is too easy. There's a, They need a support that they don't know that they need or life is happening. And you know what? Maybe for that day, the potato is enough um, because I know that sometimes kids need supports in other areas and social emotional strategies, for example. So I think that um, giving kids a little bit more flexibility around that, um, I think we can give ourselves permission to do that. Um, I also love what Sarah said around how the students using the strategy really help to co-regulate each other, which is also a part of that self-regulated learning is for kids to support each other as opposed to just receiving feedback from the teacher all of the time. But um, I think this is exactly, I love this quote. Uh, she said, um, it, this strategy really seems to help students know where they are and know where they're going. And that is really moving away from that mentality of I'm done, I'm done, I'm done, I'm done, I'm done, which is not growth mindset at all. Uh, we are learners. We are never done learning. But if we're going to say to learners, there's no more, I'm done, um, then we have to know what next is. And I remember when I first started to do this, um, kids would come up to me, they're like, Miss Moore, Miss Moore, what's next? What's next? And I'm like, oh, that's such a good question. But I didn't know what next was because I wasn't scaffolding. And so I would always rely on the what do you think next should be? Which, you know what, is not good enough. It's not good enough. We have to know our curriculum, which I think is, a, is another point that Sarah pointed out. Okay, the last piece that I'm going to mention, this is where cue dreamy music. So Sarah gave us some advice at the end, and I think that, you know, we should all have an opportunity to really think about this because this is key. Um, we have to take some risks in doing this. Um, she said, don't be afraid to try something new. There's always something great. Um, there's always great learning that comes from giving yourself permission to try. And 
I think that is so, 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 so true. And I mentioned this already in the interview, but I'm learning more and more that the most inclusive stories that are here are in places where teachers gave themselves permission to try. And administrators made room for teachers to do that. So if you're an administrator out there, um, you know, let give, give some educators some space to, to be creative. And, um, and if you're a teacher out there, allow yourself some space to, to be creative because I think that's uh, starting to question why we've done what we've done and starting to push against um, some of those his- the historical remnants of industrialization and colonialization is, is the reason why um, inclusion has had a hard time. And so if we can kind of find some creativity in those spaces, but just like Sarah says, we can't do this by ourselves, please, she says, have the courage to reach out to someone else, especially those specialist teachers Uh, Nobody knows everything, and uh, collectively, we know a lot more than we do individually. So go find your people in your schools and in your districts and in your communities and um, make some space to to have fun and and to try something new. Friends, you know, podcasting is so fun. It's kind of weird, though, because I'm just talking into a mic and no one is really responding. So I'm just trusting that you're listening to this in your car, on your way to work or in a walk. And um, I always get really nice comments back from you. So thank you for spending this time with me. Um, I'm going to go have a fire in my fireplace now and get cozy because it is a cool and cozy fall day. Uh, fall evening so thanks for joining me this week I will see you in a couple weeks uh, I think I think I have my next podcast guest lined up and I think you're gonna like them a lot uh, so shout out to Cody thank you for get for uh, figuring out how to get a pin from Sarah I will post a picture of my of my layered cake pin that Sarah got me from Chicago so you can all see it too okay everyone until next time be safe out there A very big thank you to Sarah for joining me on my podcast today. You can find five more minutes on all of your social media, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, YouTube, you name it, it's there. Um, You can find this podcast uh, specifically on Podbean and iTunes, but it's also available on wherever you get your podcasts. So I hope you enjoy this week's podcast and I will see you next time. The Five More Minutes podcast is hosted by Shelley Moore and produced by Paul Madsen. You can find Five More Minutes on YouTube, Twitter, Instagram, wherever you find your podcasts. See you later.